Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. But while at the Art Institute, there was a teacher of mine, art historian, Bill Berkson. And Berkson is a very well-known poet. And he told me one night to go to this poetry reading. And I was like, poetry? I'm not even interested in poetry. Why would I want to go to poetry? He's like, ah, it's just down at the Cal Theater. It's not far from here. If you're not doing anything, come check it out. So I didn't have anything going on. So I went to this poetry reading. And it turns out it's the release party for the Norton Anthology of Postmodern American Poetry. And I go to this thing. It's at the Cowell Theater in San Francisco. And Diane DePrima is there and Ron Padgett and, and just a host of all these amazing American icons of poetry. And I am just floored. There's visual poetry. There's poetry as song. There's just all the, this whole world of possibility and language unfolds before my eyes and my ears and my whole body. And I just... I freaked. That was it. Because Paul Hoover introduces the whole night by, by sharing this, this line from, from Jack Spicer, who was a great Berkeley Renaissance poet from the 1950s. And Spicer is in the anthology, uh, long dead at this point, but Paul Hoover shares this line, which is, the poet builds a castle on the moon made of dead skin and glass. The poet builds a castle on the moon made of dead skin and glass. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's the craziest, weirdest, most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I want, I want to do that. I want to have that kind of strange, imaginative power. And I wasn't accessing that with photography. And so that was it. That night, that was my night of, you know, with the night of the lightning bolt. And I just wanted to write poems. I wanted to get into this poetry thing. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Albert, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Delighted. Yeah. So, you know, I actually was introduced to you because you wrote in and um, I had a chance to do some digging on your work as a writer. And it's always cool to see people who've made multi-decade careers as writers. Um, I think that we have a lot to learn from people like you, especially for those of us who've only been at this for a short time. And it's funny because in the world that we live in today, 10 years is actually a short amount of time. Uh, So I want to start by uh, asking you, uh, just based on having read your memoir, um, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? (laughs) That's a great question. What social group? Ha. Huh. You know, in high school, it was interesting, uh, you know, because I, I, I came out of these two years. I was at this this junior high school in New York State, which was I've sort of yanked from my my childhood home, uh, you know, not uh, kicking and screaming, basically grew up in Connecticut. And then we moved right at sixth grade. And uh, and so I found myself. Uh, several miles away, but not far enough away to be totally removed from my old friends. We just moved over the border into New York State and ended up at this junior high school, public high school, and and just was, you know, basically cried for two years <laughs> and uh, was miserable, missed all my old friends, blah, blah, blah. And the 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 flow was that I would just go to the, the public high school there um, but I wanted to be back in Connecticut. So I ended up applying to this private day school in Connecticut and uh, somehow I got in and back in the day, this school, which is now much better, was kind of like for all the reprobates and people who gotten kicked out of prep schools and so forth. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I, I, I kind of fit in pretty good. And, and it had kids coming from Connecticut, from New York, uh, kind of from a wide geographic area. And um, and so I, you know, there wasn't the social groups. Everyone, it was a small school and we only had 60 something kids in our class. Uh-huh. And there weren't that many ice, like sort of broken up, isolated groups as such social groups. Um, 
everyone seemed to show up at the same parties, you know, I mean, there's sure there were the geeks and the, the, the jocks and the preps and the stoners. And I kind of hung out with just about everybody mm-hmm. at some po- one point or another. I mean, I, I tended to lean, if I was honest with myself, I say I would lean toward the, maybe the preps and jocks, but I was also a stoner. <laughs> I also was really into the Grateful Dead. And so, I, you know, that that's sort of the, if I had to pin a group, yeah, that would be it, unpinning the group. You know, I, I'm curious, having been uh, educated in a group of such, you know, in such a small student body, um, you know, like what is different about that than what a typical person experiences education-wise? How did that how did that impact your perspective on education? What do you think of education today? Um, you know, and, and how did it, it shape your life as a writer and a creator and, and your career? You know, I guess it was, I felt pretty lost at being at this giant middle school and easily like lost within the cracks. And it, it's a small school like that. It, it's hard to get lost. It's hard to be isolated because people are always kind of pulling you in to various activities. And I mean, that's part of the, the private school ethos is to be engaged in community and to build community, um, whether that's, you know, volunteer, well, volunteering or showing up for the yearbook team, uh, which I eventually did, or, you know, participating in after school sports, you kind of had to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas it was a little more optional in, in um, public schools. So there was a sense of engagement. And also socially, we were so tight knit while we were at school, because people were coming from from all over the place. So we ended up really hanging out there for a long time <laughs> you know you get there at sort of eight in the morning and you wouldn't leave until after your activities at like six at night and um and there was always something going on there was a play going on there was something happening at the gym there was the yearbook and i wasn't really a guy to participate much but i found myself getting funneled into these these things and uh, wound up in the uh, working with the the yearbook people because I went to I took Miss Miss Toth's photography class and that was my first foray into creativity and art making was photography and um, I was probably like junior year I want to say yeah and I really enjoyed it and I like hanging out with the people who were involved with it and we there was an openness and a randomness and a and a spaciousness and a freedom that I didn't find in a lot of the, the academic work. I wasn't a great student. Um, in fact, I was a pretty poor student. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I had a, time, a hard time expressing myself, period. But when the parameters were opened up, like in the, the yearbook thing after school, anything went, you know, and we could play and explore and there was much more freedom there for, for me to, to land in a, in a kind of creative zone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love this idea of, of having sort of open parameters to express yourself. Uh, you know, I think I, for me, I found that as a writer. I'm curious how photography influenced your writing and how um, writing has influ- influenced your photography. Like what impact did each have on the other? Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting story in that I, I, after high school, you know, I got that camera. My dad got me a camera my senior year and I went to to Europe that summer on a school trip and took lots of pictures, mostly snapshot stuff. But then when I got to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I learned that you could major in photography. I was like, wow, major in taking pictures. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Sounds good. And uh, I got kind of into it. And, um, and I learned how to see, basically, I learned how to see the world in a, in a creative way. I learned how to frame things. And, and I guess I always had a wild imagination. It wasn't really cultivated until, until college, but that imagistic style really affected, um, my writing. You know, I, 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 my earliest writing was always based on images, poetry, 
that's where I got my start as a writer. Mm-hmm. And so I think that learning to see and learning to frame things in a certain way and and explore the wildness of the imagination through the image, um, the sensory image was influenced my writing. It kind of gave me a place to land and explore. Um, and that's some of my favorite writing. I mean, my favorite writers are ones who can bring you into that sensory experience that they're having that triggers your own sensory experiences, which in turn become emotional experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're trying to do as artists is we're trying to translate emotional experiences and and cultivate a field of empathy for our readers and for the world, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the photography basically influenced the writing and where the writing influenced the photography. Uh, it also started showing up when I, I, I went to, uh, to, college and got a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Photography, and then went on to the San Francisco Art Institute and originally majored in photography there. Um, but, you know, in the photographs, kept words kept entering the photographs, um, and the titles became more and more important to me. And, you know, eventually the words kind of took over and there were no more photographs left. It was just words. <laughs> And then I, I left after grad school, I left photography I fell in love with poetry and, and I sort of never looked back. Hmm. So how, I mean, I know you teach writing workshops as well. I mean, this idea of learning to see, um, how do we do that? How do people develop that capacity, um, in their own work, regardless of what the genre of the, or the art form is. So, you know, I want to learn how to see, uh, as a podcaster, like I want to learn to see as an interviewer and see, you know, um, and create these visual images for people who are listening. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, this extends far beyond just writing photography and even the medium, you know, that we're speaking in right now. So I'm curious, how do you cultivate that capacity? Well, I think it's a combination of, of two main things. One is, is ingesting a lot of visual work, uh, you know, broadening your horizons as a as an artist as a writer um, taking in a lot of visual art um, you know looking at sculpture looking at painting um, reading about color and line and composition and really starting to think about why things are framed in certain ways what's up with the square like why are paintings square um, and what's up with the white cube of the gallery and how are things contained? And then with conceptual art, how are things uncontained? How does just being a person in the world become a creative act? Uh, So that's, that's part of it is, and I spent a lot of time and, and also had the benefit of growing up with, with parents who consumed a lot of art. They consumed a lot of visual art, a lot of architecture. My dad was an architect. Um, a lot of photography, dance, theater. And so I was around all that stuff, and I never realized the power of that and the influence on that on my writing until much later. Uh, but so exposure, I think, is is really important. The other thing is is being in the world and mindfully tuning into your sensory experiences, whether that's visually, whether that's auditorily, whether that's um, with your sense of smell and taste, but really slowing down and stopping and, and being with, being present to. That's why I find meditation is such a powerful, powerful force for creativity because it, it, it reminds us to engage fully in the immediate sensory experience that we're having. Um, and then, you know, there's like endless exercises one can do to, to learn how to see better through, you know, just walking around with a, a cut out piece of cardboard, like a, a window and, and looking through a window and, and framing things and see how things are composed in unique ways. And, you know, writing from photographs, writing from sculptures, writing during films, uh, and, and these practices and these exercises, they help us see better. They help us get into our other uh, sensory experiences and other creative experiences that can really influence the writing dramatically. Well, 
I want to spend uh, a good amount of time talking about your personal story because uh, you know it was it was so deep and it was so layered with so many different experiences. I mean, the fa- from the family dynamic to uh, you know, I, I know that you've spent a good amount of time abusing substances, which is the sense I got from reading Beamish Boy um, to get to this point of sobriety. So, can you walk us through um, you know, and you can tell me a fifteen minute story, and that is totally cool. How you kind of you know went down this trajectory, and what is the role that writing and creativity had played in all of it? And you know, how did it bring you to the point you're at now? Oh boy! Well, you know, I just I'm just finishing up this new book is coming out. It's called Writing Is a Path to Awakening, and it's 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 about the writing journey, and it's about the the spiritual journey too. Uh, Somehow I survived. You know, I, I grew up in, a, in an abusive and alcoholic family, and and so by an early age I was, you know, I was a binge drinker, and uh, there were a number of really terrible accidents. Um, uh, some one of which I, I was, you know, I passed out drunk in a driveway, and I was run over by uh, a best friend, and he just drove over me. Um, a couple of years later, I'm, I'm, I wake up handcuffed to the bed rails in a hospital in Colorado. No idea how I got there. And I'm under arrest. And um, through most of that time, I'm, I wasn't, this was my late teens, early 20s. Through most of that time, I'm not creating anything. I'm not writing anything. I'm taking a few photographs here and there. Uh, and I'm just trying to stay alive somehow. You know, I'm trying to deal with the grief of this abuse. And I'm trying to, to numb it away, numb it out of my experience. And yet, and I don't, at this point, I don't have any consciousness really of the effect that my, the, the creative portion of my childhood is had like my parents and the fact that they were so interested in art and and there were so many books around and I didn't read a lot of these books but they were there you know and you sort of they almost magically they just kind of are imbued in you right and you and you're seeing your parents reading all the time like my parents were never without books they were like always reading and so you pick up on that as a kid and maybe it doesn't resonate. It doesn't show up in any way until, you know, until you're 30 years old, which was the case with me. Um, but it's there and it's influencing your experience all along the way. Um, and so by my, my second terrible accident and arrest, I, you know, it was that was do or die, literally. Like I was, if I drank again, I was going to die. So by age 22, I got sober and and moved to California. And I moved there to start anew, and and I wind and and also I applied to the San Francisco Art Institute, and I end up getting into the Art Institute in San Francisco. I submit a portfolio of photographs that have words. Um, there's some photographs I, I shot while I was in Africa my junior year in East Africa. I was there for four months and took tons of pictures and, and ended up r- sort of journal writing around uh, on these these photographs and, and then submitted them to the Art Institute thinking I would never get in. And somehow they took me. <laughs> and so off I was to, to San Francisco, newly sober, uh, still very much lost emotionally. And yet there's this thread of possibility. There's this thread of creativity. There's this, this sense that if I keep looking, if I keep um, – I had just recently started writing. I kept this journal when I was in Africa and um, found it profoundly helpful. I had written letters. Remember letters? Back in the day, people <laughs> used to write letters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the 80s and, and even the 90s. I suppose some people still write letters. Uh, it seems so quaint now. But um, so I wrote letters. And, and when I got to the Art Institute, I, uh, well, there's a long story of, of 
arriving in San Francisco, finally realizing that I need therapy. And I, I joined this therapy group my, my new friend is in. But it turns out it's a psychedelic therapy cult. <laughs> and I get sucked into the vortex of this cult and they're doing tons of drugs and there's no boundaries and oh it's god it's a nightmare um but not without it's somehow it's redeeming qualities of of insights and revelation and letting go and that's a, that's a whole nother thing but at the art institute I flailed around I I wanted. I took pictures. I made paintings. I did performances. I shot little films. And by the end of my first year, my photo teachers were like, uh, "Where's the portfolio? Like, where's the cohesive thing that we can pin you down to?" And I didn't have a thing. I was scattered all over the place. So they failed me. I failed my year-end review. And instead of staying in the photography department, I said, well, I'll screw it. I'll just go to the new genres department and I can do whatever I want in the new genres department. <laughs> and so I put together a uh, – and I had to resubmit my whole portfolio. So I put together some completely bizarre, crazed, performancey installation thing. And only one of the teachers showed up. And he was like, well, it looks good to me. I think you're good. And so I ended up graduating. <laughs> Uh, just barely. And uh, but while at the Art Institute, there was a teacher of mine, art historian Bill Berkson. And Berkson is a very well-known poet. And he told me one night to go to this poetry reading. And I was like, poetry? I'm not even interested in poetry. Why would I want to go to poetry? He's like, ah, it's just down at the Cal Theater. It's not far from here. If you're not doing anything, come check it out. So I didn't have anything going on. So I went to this poetry reading. And it turns out it's the release party for the Norton Anthology of Postmodern American Poetry. And I go to this thing, it's at the Cowell Theater in San Francisco, and Diane DePrima is there, and Ron Padgett, and, and just a host of all these amazing American icons of poetry. And I am just floored. There's visual poetry, there's poetry as song, there's just all the, this whole world of possibility and language unfolds before my eyes and my ears and my whole body. And I just, I freaked. That was it. Because Paul Hoover introduces the whole night by, by sharing this, this line from, from Jack Spicer, who was a great Berkeley Renaissance poet from the 1950s. And Spicer is in the anthology, uh, long dead at this point, but Paul Hoover shares this line, which is, the poet builds a castle on the moon made of dead skin and glass. The poet builds a castle on the moon made of dead skin and glass. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's the craziest, weirdest, most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I want, I want to do that. I want to have that kind of strange, imaginative power. And I wasn't accessing that with photography. And so that was it that night. That was my night of, you know, with the night of the lightning bolt. And I just wanted to write poems. I wanted to get into this poetry thing. So I bought the anthology. I started finding my favorite poems, my favorite poets, start buying books, going to the library. And for the, my remaining time there at the Art Institute, Bill was just cheering me on. He was so excited to have a, a kind of a one a student who was interested in poetry because he was such a great poet and he would would fill my mailbox with these xerox copies of these classic books of poems that were long out of print from people like ted berrigan and alice notley and all these amazing poets and, and so i got a real education there and it it kind of took off from there and i've been talking for so long i forgot your question <laughs> no, no 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 worries this has been really awesome Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Um, so many questions come from this uh, just kind of hearing hearing the beginning of the story one of the things that I'm curious about and um, this is something that I think I, I, I personally have experience with this and I know that I tend to do this why do you think that people tend to numb painful emotions with things like drug, drugs or alcohol because um, I know I've done it like I, I can honestly tell you that there are plenty of moments in my life where that was my default reaction. I think it's 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 a combination uh, of fear. Um, I mean, it's basically fear and terror. Like in all, you know, from in my experience, it was you know I just I got my ass kicked when I was a kid and and I didn't get the attention I needed and the connection and the love. That's that's so basic and primary to human well-being, and so I, I missed that. I was so um, I was so lost to it, and so yearning to come back to connection, to love, basically. And I didn't think that I mattered at all. Like no one ever told me I mattered, and so I I, I numbed out. It was too painful. For me, it was like physically too painful to to be alive at a certain point. And I think that's that's sort of people have their own version of this. And hopefully, you know, a lot of people aren't, you know, traumatized and they didn't get their ass kicked. But we all know that that so many people do. So many people do get neglected and, and do experience trauma and great loss. And especially in childhood, you know, you carry that your entire life. And so I think it's it's a way to just to disconnect. You know, I I think showing up and being present in the world is is really challenging for all of us. Um, it takes this level of vulnerability. We have to be willing to feel the grief of the world. Um, I mean, just being alive today is we're we're so. Um, 
inundated with information and and trauma on every level. Just the way you know we're constantly hearing about the war in Syria or the war in Yemen or the war in Afghanistan or the war here or the war that. And yes, there's always been war, but there's never been this this inundation and access, immediate access to to the trauma of it and the information around it. And so I think people are feeling so they're feeling a little bit of PTSD, even if they weren't in the war, you know, just learning about that. If you're a sensitive, open person, you're just, you're just getting beaten down. And it, it, it feels safer to just numb it out, to just tune out and disconnect. Cause otherwise you're just, you're stumbling around the world, your life, you know, crying all the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, not that that's what happens when you're open necessarily. I think, you know, when you, when you do get vulnerable, you do um, get real and you do get present, you open up also to a possibility of taking action, right? Your, your choices become more open and more broad. Uh, so I think to feel, to show up, to be present is to be courageous and, uh, it, it's hard. It's challenging for most of us. How uh, in your own life did you let go of, of the, the baggage from the past? <laughs> God, I mean, that's all <laughs> part of the journey. That's the whole book. Yeah. Beamish Boy is, is that, you know, it's part of it was, was, you know, waking up in hospitals and trying, you know, getting that signal that, you know, you do this one more time, you're not going to, you're not going to be alive for it. Sometimes we're stubborn. <laughs> we need to be really hit over the head or driven over by a car. Um, and then, um, all of it, a good therapist, you know, first I went to a bad therapist with no boundaries and with all these, these substances and, and psychedelics. And there was something to that, that was also opening you know, that also helped me transcend the difficulties of my childhood and the traumas and, and so forth. And then I got a, a good therapist and, you know, I went to energy healers and I got massages and I started eating right and I started exercising and, and I started meditating and meditation was a real game changer for me because that was the place that I found that this is where I'm really showing up. Like when you settle down your nervous system and you don't do anything except breathe and reconnect and look inside, it's a, it's a mind blower. It's a heart blower. It just opens you up to this vast sense of self. That's, that's so much more than you ever thought you were as a human being. And the true vulnerability seeps through and the true healing can be activated Wow. So those are some of the things. <laughs> yeah. Funny enough, I, I found myself in uh, a session with an energy healer, which I never thought in a million years I would do. Right. I know it seems like a little bit too woo woo and yeah. new agey and so forth. But, you know, my, in my experience, and I've just noticed this in, in relationship to the, the trauma I, I experienced as a kid and what my, my sisters have gone through versus what I've gone through in terms of healing and, and I'm not a psychologist, but I do know that emotions and powerful emotions, deep trauma, it lives in the body. It's a, it's a physical embodiment, it lives in the flesh and the bones of our bodies. And until we're willing to, to re-feel that and to deal with the energy in the body um, and release that, it's, it's not going anywhere. You know, because we'll just cycle around in our heads about it forever. Uh-huh. We need we need that active, energetic reintegration and letting go to have happen. Wow! So, um, you know the the other part of of what you just said that really struck me was what you called the lightning bolt moment. Uh, and I'm curious, 
you know, how do people identify that moment in their life? Uh, you know, and I, I feel like we get multiple lightning bolt moments. I, I'm sure I've had them. I think the day that I was sent an email from my co-founder of the podcast, Sid Savar, saying you're a much better interviewer than you are a writer, who was uh, one of my lightning bolt moments. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I'm curious, you know, how do you how do you develop an awareness to recognize those moments when they show up in your life? For me, it's always been in retrospect. Yeah. And and. You know, bringing awareness to them, thinking about, I mean, this is, this is the whole thing about self-reflection that's, that's really powerful and essential if we want to, to evolve as human beings, you know, if we want to evolve in our lives, we want to heal our lives, expand our lives and, and make the world a better place through the, the portal that is us. Um, you, you've got to, you've got to investigate. You know, you've got to to explore this this sense of self. Who who am I? You know, keep asking yourself, who am I? Um, and you know, it helps to just stay engaged and always learning. You know, sometimes these lightning bolt moments have have been revealed to me in um, you know in in like speaking workshops. <laughs> where you're you're asked to to talk about that a life defining moment you know it's like oh yeah what was that life defining moment um so it can kind of happen anywhere but as a writer you know as a creative person those are often the, the points that that are most pivotal and most interesting for people to read about and so you're exploring those as part of the the art making process mm-hmm. you know and, and you think about like okay what are these where are these points where I just really got sort of jolted into a new reality, a new sense of possibility for myself, or it was like a major smackdown and I had to kind of re reassess retool. How am I going to move forward? Uh, So that's, that's one thing about lightning bolt moments. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, you know, building a creative career that has sustained, you know, multiple decades. Uh, you know, I, I think that one of the things that's really interesting about the world that we live in today, and this is something I wrote in my book, I said, you know, our perception of longevity is actually really warped. We think that one year is a long time just because of the pace at which the world moves is so fast. And, you know, you hear people like Sam Altman over at Y Combinator say, you know, if you're serious about this, you know, you should be prepared to spend 10 years working on it. Uh-huh. And um, I'm very curious, you know, what advice do you have to people who are starting out early in creative careers? Like what are the what are the pitfalls that they face? Uh, you know, does are there moments when maybe it makes sense not to to pursue this path or to to not keep going down it? Well, I think it's it's devotion is is one of the key things: the patience, devotion, consistency, hmm. staying staying with it. Because right in the in the creative world, it ten years is not a long time. You know, there's a lot of my favorite writers takes them 10 years to write their novel takes 10 years to write a good book. Um, and that's, that's difficult for a lot of us to, to sit with because we want that instant gratification. Yeah. Um, but when you're starting off on the creative path, it's just, you've got to get into that mode where you feel like I really love to do this thing. This is like a fun thing for me to do. There's really not anything else I'd want to do than make photographs or write a book or, you know, not that it's always going to be fun 24 <laughs> seven yeah. because there's always going to be those, those aspects to anything that are, that are challenging, that are a pain in the ass, blah, blah, blah. But just being devoted to that, that world of creativity that you find yourself in um, and, and staying with it for the long haul. I mean, what is that? The, there's that oft quoted 10,000 hour, the 10,000 hours. Yeah, I believe so. A uh, rule of just, you're just doing it all the time, you know, for, for a long time. And you put in that time and next thing you know, you're, you're pretty good at it. And it's like, wow, you get those little wins that, that keep you going 
And I always wanted to participate. You know, I, I, it, it occurred to me at some point as an artist, like, why are there some people who are published and out there, you know, telling everybody what writing is or what photography is and others that aren't? And it finally occurred to me that, oh, well, they don't get to define what photography in America is any more than I do. The only difference is that they've, they've, they've stayed with it. They've devoted themselves to it. They keep doing it. They keep engaging. They keep participating on multiple levels, too. Did you ever want to quit? Oh, uh, did I ever want to quit? Um, I, you know, I mean, in some ways I quit photography, you know, just d- depending on how you define quit. <laughs> I mean, I don't do much photography anymore, mm-hmm. uh, but I, de- I definitely didn't quit art, you know, and I, and I can't not make art. I can't not make writing. I can't not write and make poems. And now it's novels and it has been memoir and who knows what will be next. But um, I can't not do it. You know, it's just, it's like this thing that's in me that I just love doing. I love engaging with. And, um, you know, there's often, there's these waves of doubt that, that haunt us as artists and haunt me uh, eternally. But, it, you know, there's always what I find solace in is this return to, to the work itself and to the practice and process itself and to the love of poetry, to the love of novels, and to the love of even the love of photography. Um, you know, I still am a great admirer of photography. I don't, I don't practice it as much, but I love looking at photo books. I love going to photo shows. Um, there's a great Dorothea Lange exhibition right now up here at the Oakland Museum, um, and it's just that joy and love to connect with the art and the art making process that that keeps me never wanting to quit. What, um, what would you say to somebody who in this moment right now is, is feeling like they want to give up? I would say connect with the reasons that you got into it in the first place. You know, like for me, it was being turned on by that, that Jack Spicer quote. And so I would, in my darkest moment, I would return to that, that quote, I would return to that book of poems and I would go there and read that again and be like, Oh yeah, that's why I got into this. That's because I love this. And I know that, that I too have a way of seeing the world that is important. And I just need to reconnect to that, to reconnect to that spirit of creativity and that spirit of intention to participate from my own worldview, from my own experience. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm really glad you brought up the idea of, you know, why did you start doing this in the first place? And I think that often in a world uh, where we're inundated with input, uh, our reasons for why we think we're doing something are often largely influenced by external uh you know, sources of information or people uh, and ideas like, you know, people basically say something as a trend and suddenly you see everybody wanting to, to hop on sort of that bandwagon and it, it kind mm-hmm. of neglects exactly what you're talking about, which, you know, to me leads to a great deal of, of creative dissatisfaction. Yeah. No, and the comparison factor too. Oh, yeah. You know, especially, you know, with everybody – is on Facebook and Instagram and they're sharing all kinds of stuff. You know, their, their chicken dinner from last night that they did a fabulous <laughs> job on and their latest novel. And, you know, the fact that you start to see, you know, all your friends or your friends of friends and they're just churning out these novels and, and photo exhibitions and whatnot, it can make you feel completely inferior. Um, and so I think we need to keep that in check, you know, and, and, and bring our attention away from 
the social media stuff necessarily and more on the attention of creating Mm-hmm. Spending that time, what you know, uh, as I always love to say, a writer is somebody who writes. That's it. I had a, a student actually. I was teaching a, a writing retreat last week up here in Northern California, and uh, a woman came up to me day five, and I had been spewing for you know, at least four and a half days and all kinds of content and exercises and insights and so forth. And she said to me at the very end, she said, you know, this, the, the, the biggest takeaway for me was that when you said a writer is someone who writes, I was like, yeah, that's it. You know, a writer isn't somebody who's published necessarily. A writer is someone who's committed to the practice of writing. That's it. So commit to the practice of writing and stop worrying about what everyone else is doing and focus on being the best writer that you can possibly be if if you want to be a writer if you really enjoy this process if you're really devoted to sharing your ideas in this way just do it just shut up and write (laughs) so uh on that note i have to ask uh one other thing about this what does your day-to-day uh routine and ritual look like so when i'm in in uh the new writing mode of a book like I'm, I'm creating a, a new book. Like right now, I'm not because I'm in I'm in promotion mode for for writing as a path to awakening, and so I'm just like inundated with all of that. And that's part of being an artist, especially these days. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a multi layered, multi tiered process, and and promotion and connecting with your readers is is a huge piece of it. Excuse me. Um, but when I'm generating and I have a new project going, I'm, I'm up really early at sort of 5.30, 6, which is, 6 is kind of late. And then I'm, I'm on my couch with my notebook and I'm handwriting in my notebook. And I'm just – I'm doing that for 20 minutes to three hours. And then I'm jumping on the computer and I'm inputting – I'm typing things in and I'm gathering and accumulating ideas. I'm accumulating material. And this can go on for months of just accumulating material. And, you know, it's different for, for each kind of a project. Um, so that would be for like a memoir or or prose or a novel where I'm just, I'm generating as much information and ideas as possible. And I'm starting to eventually shape them into a kind of form that I can work with. Um, but that's really the, the, the routine I'm, I'm, I'm done by, you know, 12 or, or two usually in that mode. And I just have to get away from my notebook and away from the computer and go ride my bike <laughs> or, you know, go to the coffee shop or, yeah. Go connect with a human being. Um, so that's that's the general generative portion of the program. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally get it. It's, it's funny. I think the the interesting thing to me is, is you know, setting aside time to actually shut down and go do whatever it is that uh, often we think is wasting time. Uh, and yet those tend to be the moments in which we get a lot of our best creative insights. Mm-hmm. And you have to find your own process. Yeah which is an act of discovery and experimentation. You know, when are you the most productive? Some people are productive at night. I'm not, Yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down for the count by like eight or nine o'clock. <laughs> just want to go to bed. And, uh, I mean, that's not always true too, right? We don't want to get too locked into, uh, our personality type or style because interesting stuff can happen when we write at the off hours. Um, and, so kind of remaining open, you know, finding your little niche, finding your most productive zone, but also being willing to, to tinker a little bit because sometimes you don't have the time. Like I was – my wife and I had this home care business for a while, uh, for about seven years, and, and I had to write in the evenings. I had to write on the weekends. I had to – I didn't have the, the, the pleasure and the time and the space to get up at 5.30 and – put in a couple of hours before work 
most days, you know, I had an hour and a half commute. And, and so I had to squeeze it in whenever I could. Um, so it depends on your time, but there's always time, no matter how crazed you are. If you want to write, if you want to create, there's always time. You have to create that time the way you would create your characters in your book. You know, you, you are the creator. The ultimate artwork is yourself and your life. And so you, you invent that time and create it, whether it's 15 minutes before work or 15 minutes before you go to bed. Well, uh, I think you have filled this with a, a lot of poetic nuggets, as, as I kind of expected, having read your memoir. So I want to finish with my final question, which I know, I've, uh, you know you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? <laughs> makes them unmistakable. That's a funny word. Unmistakable. Like, as in you can't mistake them for somebody else? Yeah, I would say so. Um. I think it's their willingness to to be authentic. That's really it. Their willingness to be authentic. Their willingness to go inside, to be vulnerable, to to open up to all the fear, the doubt, the terror, the beauty, the love, the joy, the insight. The full willingness to to be that authentic self that's what makes them unmistakable mm. you know because then you're then you're like in tune with your inclinations your inclinations to experiment your inclinations to to explore um, to ask questions to connect with others and ultimately to change the world as only you can Well, I think that makes a uh, fitting end to our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, just albertflynndsilver.com um, or just hashtag writing as a path is another way. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.